I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Sarah Pascoe. Hello, I'm Carrie Ad Lloyd. And we're weird about books. We love to read. We read too much. We talk too much. About the too much that we've read. Which is why we've created The, the Weirdos, Weirdos Book Club. Club. Join us! A space for the lonely outsider to feel accepted and appreciated. A place for the person who'd love to be in a real book club, but doesn't like wine or nibbles. Or being around other people. Is that you? Join us. Check out our Instagram, at Sarah and Carrie Ads Weirdos Book Club, for the upcoming books we're going to be discussing. You can read along and share your opinions. Or just skulk around in your raincoat like the weirdo you are. Thank Thank you for reading with us. We We like reading with you. This week, we are coming live from 21 Soho in London for our first ever live episode. We were very thrilled to be joined by author and screenwriter Emma Jane Unsworth and comedian and author Shappy Corsandi. And this week's book guest is Weirdo by Sarah Pascoe. Sarah, is your book out now? Yes. And can people buy it right now? Yes, they can. Then do. It's so easy. How can you resist? In this episode, we talk about hemorrhoids, cystitis, mums, awkward interviews, dating, audiobooks, accents, and being a grown-up. Trigger warning, we also mention rape in this episode. Hello again, everybody. Hello. And so now, very exciting, we'd like to welcome our guests. We have an acclaimed comedian, award-winning. She's been on things like Live at the Apollo and Michael McIntyre's Roadshow. And she's also written incredible books. She's written non-fiction, like A Beginner's Guide to Acting English and more recently Scatterbrain about ADHD. They're both fantastic. And she's also written fiction, Nina is Not Okay, and Kissing Emma. Please, will you welcome Shappi Corsandi! Um, Our next guest is the very incredible Emma Jane Unsworth. She is an incredible, successful novelist, short story writer, screenwriter, showrunner and producer. She's the author of Hungry, The Stars and Everything, Animals and Adults. She was shortlisted for the Portico Prize for Fiction and her book Animals was turned into a film in 2014. She's an extraordinarily talented writer and human and she's here tonight to talk to us about Sarah's book. Please welcome Emma Jane Unsworth. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the Weirdos Book Club. Uh, Our special guest book this week is Sarah Pascoe's Weirdo. Uh, Yes. So why are we, why is the book Weirdo in the Weirdos Book Club? Because Sarah said so. Sarah said (laughs) Sarah said so. That's why this podcast exists. All the rest of the guests are just a smokescreen for this episode. (laughs) Um, 
Why is it in the Weirdos Book Club, Sarah? Why do you think this book should be in the Weirdos Book Club? Apart from inspiring the Weirdos Book Club. Why did I call it Weirdo? I just assumed it's called Weirdo because um, the main character, Sophie, thinks her mum is looking at her through her cat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to judge. <laughs> but you can. That's quite, okay. Yeah. It's quite brilliantly weird. Yeah. Yeah. Sophie thinks she's weird because she can hear all of her own thoughts. Mm. I think if you were to meet her, you know, she was to serve you in a pub, or be one of your friend's friends, you wouldn't necessarily go home and go, that woman's absolutely bonkers because you wouldn't know a lot of those thoughts. But yeah, in terms of the Weirdos Book Club, yes, she has had phases of things like, yeah, thinking her mum has secret video cameras looking at her, which apparently not everyone does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the cat thing is reason enough to be in the Weirdos Book Club. We don't don't need any more. Do you want to tell us very briefly in a sentence what happens in the book for people who haven't read it yet? I find that really hard. It is hard and it's not a question you approved. No, it's it's an unapproved question and I know that all of you have written books and have written fiction books. The trouble is when you distill it down to like a tweet length, it sounds so shit. (laughs) (laughs) You still didn't give us a distill sentence. (laughs) I know because I, I honestly think if I describe the story of this book, it sounds rubbish. I had so much problems with like uh, blurbing it or like for, with the publishing and stuff because it sounded like a girl trying to find a boyfriend. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't put that as the blurb. <laughs> I don't think that was about. Shall I try? I think it's about a person trying to find themselves whilst... See, the... it sounds bad. No, that doesn't sound bad. <laughs> That's the beginning of the blurb. If that was it, a person trying to find themselves... Boom, I would not pick up that book on the, books, on the bookshelf. I'd be like, oh, okay. A person who is emotionally neglected by her yes. parents, okay. um, but on the surface, fed and clothed and watered. Yeah. So on paper, they were fine. Mm. And with the really shoddy tools they gave her, in terms of her self-esteem and confidence, she tried to have the sort of romance that films tell you exists. And Cinderella books tell you that it's out there for you but she's stumbling around in the dark and bonking entirely the wrong people Shappy should write your blurbs yeah. <laughs> and definitely keep the word bonking in I love hearing the, I word, love bonking. the word bonking you just don't hear that word enough anymore you just like don't... bonking and snog you don't get enough I only bonk you only bonk yeah I can't move on from bonking I don't think I'm classy where... enough to bonk <laughs> Emma Jane <laughs> where are you with bonking Oh, always willing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly rusty, possibly. Yeah. You know, um, but, but I think it's also a book about obsession. That's yeah. what I loved about it the most. It's about a really obsessive mind that I think is really hard to do, but also perfect for the novel, because I think the novel is almost the natural habitat of the weirdo and of the weird mind. I, that's what I think. I because think, it's, yeah, it's a tete-a-tete, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. like you write in solitude to be read in solitude, so you can really go deep on the weirdness of one person's mind. And I think Sophie is just so, her mind is working so fast and she's so, so, so obsessive. Um, and there's not really another medium that I can think of that you could do that in successfully other than a book. Yeah. I don't know if you guys found this about the editing process, but obviously the first go, you send it off when you think it's um, reasonable to show somebody who could technically end your contract. And then having a, another human being read it for the first time. Originally, Sophie was much more obsessive and much more paranoid. Oh, okay. Interesting. And it was, it was all sort of dialed pull it down. Back. Yeah. Why? But I think what you're, what you're describing, that it's you and a character and you understand them so well... 
and an actual novel going out to the public is working out how to translate it and bridge it so that you're not leaving anyone behind mm. and it's not things that only you understand and only them and it's just our secrets <laughs> was yeah. that edit choice yours or yeah. was that more other people's reactions to drafts of like oh were they like no one's that obsessive and you were like yes they are but it's a bit like doing stand-up if no one laughs oh yeah yeah, like, yeah. we're people pleasers <laughs> so so someone might say I think this bit really takes you out of the novel, you know. And your first thought is, you are so wrong. This is the most perfect thing anyone has ever written. And this is the crux of it. But actually, it sits in you for a few days until you then look at it again with fresh eyes and go, yeah, I can't. It's not there. But the Waterstones edition of the book, they let me put in 2,000 words that were cut. Wow. Like, so for instance, I wrote um, a scene of a, a soap opera that Sophie and her mum were watching. And it's on Christmas Day and there's a... A festive sinkhole. So, so, so there's a mum and her daughter, and they're trying to escape from a bad boyfriend, but they get sucked in by a sinkhole. And then there's like a scarf that like comes up before the theme tune. And after an editor said to you, like, I don't think you need that. <laughs> and you're like, what? But it's the, the best thing I've ever written. And then you come back to it and go, oh, okay. You should have said, yeah. sent it to EastEnders as a special episode. I've actually put in the. Waterstones edition if anyone from EastEnders does want me to do a special sinkhole Christmas <laughs> always, episode always that would be, that would be my dream um, Shappy do you feel like that in edits is it a process of having to translate what was in your head versus what other readers are saying yeah and, and, and to this day I'm, I remain mortified at the um, pre-edited bits that other human beings might oh. still have on their hard drives it's hot, it's, it feels like those first few drafts feel like pages of your diary and I I would get comments like that's a bit much and (laughs) do you really want people to know that but what I do is after I finish it I forget what's in it and then someone will bring it up with you and I go oh my god did I say that did I tell people that with weirdo I want a sequel Ooh. about about the mum because I was intrigued by the way that she kind of like saw everything as a film and maybe this isn't real and the romances like to me weren't but what I wanted to know was what the hell happened to that mum and there was this line that broke my heart when she talks about her mum and then you say something like um but then she'll really give the love and say you're the best thing ever and I just imagine these two little girls not knowing where they fucking stand with this woman that they are stuck with who has her own, her own stuff and, and how they do not have a prayer. And the two sisters are talking, it's that bit, isn't it? Um, Sophie and Dana, and they're talking about her drinking yeah. and saying that, you know, she keeps saying I'm not an alcoholic, but when she's, then she'll start stroking their hair and actually saying she loves them, which she, the rest of the time is just watching soap operas like on a recorded schedule. I think there's a thing with parents and that we really think that we understand them and actually there's a real limit because we're getting we get their biography told purely through their version and so I knew that Sophie couldn't understand her mum but I needed the reader to understand her a little bit you were empathetic there's so a lot of empathy towards behavior. the mum but, but again that was something where after a first draft I had to find something likable about her you have to care <laughs> about people in books yeah can I just bring the chat briefly to hemorrhoids? Oh, please, please. <laughs> no, just, can, just, can you bring it back to hemorrhoids because, for ages? <laughs> yes, yes. Can we only celebrate? Because yes. my therapist told me that hemorrhoids are to do with your mother. <gasps> and I just want to say that. It was such a weird thing. And then just, I just wanted to put I that out no there, guys. Idea. But I 
genuinely don't think that hemorrhoids are talked about enough. <laughs> but I was so glad that you were openly hemorrhoiding. Yeah, openly hemorrhoiding. <laughs> there are things that happen to your body, and so cystitis is another one, that are so big while they're happening, and actually periods for lots of people, especially if you have endometriosis or certain other conditions, that you're expected to carry on with your life, but so much of your headspace and your decision-making and your happiness level, your wellness... That, you know, that it's clouded and, and debt is another thing that I think yeah. if you are in debt it doesn't need to be hundreds of thousands it is there when you wake up yeah. it is always there wherever you are you can't escape it so hemorrhoids and debt I was like yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing that now in the book there's a, like there's the coalition between yes. those there, there's a relationship between her debt and her hemorrhoids and the internal suffering that she's going through that isn't taken seriously but I want to know more about it being related to the mum. Like, yeah, how do I make sure my kids don't get really bad hemorrhoids? I know. I don't know. read I'm on the loo. <laughs> don't read on the loo. Yeah that's, yeah, that's apparently how I got mine. I was warned oh. for years by my mum, don't read on the loo. Because you're sitting there for too long. Yeah, I, would, I mean, mm. my, my brother used to call me bog woman. <laughs> I, just, I still, that's still where I do most of my reading. Cystitis, apparently, I read, is, be, is like literally pissed off. Like, then you don't express it. You're not expressing being pissed off at someone. And that's, oh, so it's like... Burning rage. Yeah, you're literally... There's a, yeah. And it's quite a female... It feels that way. ...thing, isn't wow. it? Not expressing it, yeah. It I've could just be that one. I've only ever had cystitis once. Oh, it's awful. I can't it's believe awful. you've got away with all that bonking and only one cystitis <laughs> <Yeah>. bout. <laughs> you're very lucky. It's all working. That's great. But I agree with you. Cystitis is... I have only experienced hemorrhoids during pregnancy, I should say. Not a regular thing for me. But it takes up all the space. I know the book people are thinking didn't think it would be this medical. <laughs> but that's what happens when you get four women together talking honestly. Um, I, I um, remember at university being told that um, so James Joyce, I'm pretty sure this is the right way around, James Joyce was the first author to have a character doing a wee. Oh, and Samuel really? Beckett was the first author to have a character. I mean, it might be like a ver- very Swift. respectable... Jonathan Swift wrote stuff about shitting. Really? He? Well, then my university was a lie. The worst thing I've ever read is... Henry Miller, Tropic of Cancer, and a character wipes their ass with a piece of bread and just goes into it in detail. And I, like, even as a young person, I read it quite young, I thought, you dirty bastard. And I, I didn't want to read the book anymore. I thought, that is just so disgusting. Were they doing a shit in the kitchen or was there a loaf unexpectedly in the bathroom? Yeah. No, he does, he does a shit. piece this together. I mean, he's, an, he's an, literally an arsehole character. He does a shit and there's no toilet roll. So he goes to the kitchen and gets a slice of bread. And he really goes into it. And I was like, this was like Penguin Classic. <laughs> and I thought, no, this is not classic. This is unacceptable. But like, I'm just supposed to carry on with this character, how am I, Henry Miller, and trust and like him? I, I think he's fucking disgusting. That sounds like a king. But also, yeah. isn't there a thing with writing at all that you're always worried that the reader is going to think, well, they know a lot about hemorrhoids. Well, yes. This is probably about their hemorrhoids. Henry, Henry Miller. Miller. <laughs> well, let's do both books next week. <laughs> I was furious. I've never read them again. And I thought, yes, yeah, too much. My first book, though, I was so nervous, just like the, the day before it came out, that everyone who read it would think that the sex in it, which it was, was very minimal, very, very tame, but I just thought that they'd all think that was the way I had sex. Oh, and I was yeah. thinking, oh, my God, like my boss at the big issue where I worked, and my mum and my dad, and everyone is just going to think, that's how I like to have sex. And I was like, I need to recall it, I need to recall it, I need to change it. <laughs> None of them, like, gave a shit at <laughs> all. But you just kind of have this kind of worry, that, that if, especially if you write in the first person, I think, mm especially if you write semi-autobiographical things, yeah. then, you know, then everyone will just immediately think that's the way you do things. And, and when you first start out, that can be such a worry. It can really put you up. 
I made a terrible mistake in that I thought that young adult meant 14 to 18 because yeah. I don't read my emails. <laughs> but young adult, if you are commissioned to write a young adult novel, it's 11 to 13. They're kids. I mean the filth I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> the filth and... The pub- lawsuits. Publishers are so polite compared to the comedy industry. Yeah, yeah. So we were just thinking, perhaps if we can imply this rather than... And eventually it twigged. And then I, I then thought, oh my God, they think that I think that this filth is acceptable for 11-year-olds. So then I had to write these really weird, long, needy emails to just reassure them that's not what I think. You said to them, look, it's young adult, but we can bring out a second version that's adult, adult. So when the, when the kids grow up, like the Harry Potter gets, grows up with them, then they go and buy the filthy version. Is there a filthy version of Harry Potter that you're working on, Carrie Abs? Not Late me. night, The Harry internet Potter. has already done that. I mean, oh, yeah. they are, the internet is as bad as Henry Miller, <laughs> generally. They Very. could just do a spell to clean their bombs. <laughs> if there was no toilet paper at Hogwarts. Spell. I bet they've got yeah. a hemorrhoid yeah, spell. There must be a hemorrhoid spell. Snape must have done one in his time. Sarah, are you feeling like that? Like um, Emma Jane was saying, this vulnerability of the author that people are going to immediately say, because the character of Sophie is from Essex. And well, you did, I'll, tell you what my, I'll tell you what my mum said when she read it. Yes. What did she my mum's really supportive and encouraging. And so she read the book and then she said, oh, I really feel like I understand you now. <laughs> And I said, oh, but it's not not about me. (laughs) She's like, (laughs) how did she feel about the mother? Well, exactly. Mm. She didn't say anything about that? No. There was one thing I took out. It's it's odd because you're writing fiction, but you find things are lodged in your head. A sentence someone said 10 years ago, or the way something looked, and I wrote in how my mum does her recycling. (laughs) <laughs> and then I cut it because I thought if I give the mum character my mum's recycling habit yeah. even though it would fit her it's a signpost all yeah. you have to do is dedicate the book to them and then they'll never sue you or blame that's, you that's what I did that's what I did it's one of my favourite dedications I've ever read and I text you immediately after I read it because it says for Gail which is Sarah's mum's name am I your favourite now question mark <laughs> Sarah has two sisters yeah and I just laughed out loud when I read that because I was like oh. I mean because you sort of mean it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an ongoing. It's a, a current favourite. My mum puts it in her phone so that when you call, it, so at the moment it says Cheryl, favourite daughter. And, and that's what you're competing for. How do we get past that as authors? I'm asking all of you. The vulnerability when it comes to writing. How do you let that not block you? Well, I have to say that I was... With what I know now, I would have navigated interviews with more confidence. So I wrote a book called Nina's Not Okay about an 18-year-old girl who is grieving uh, and she is an alcoholic. She falls into booze. And actually somebody texts me, a a comedian, and said, I really feel like I know you better now after reading (laughs) Nina. I was like, really? He just said, I know you better now. And I was like, wow, that's yes, fascinating. Yeah. No. But the first interview I ever had about my book, and I've never been interviewed about a novel before, right? It's my first novel. I'm beside myself excited. And she goes, well, you know what I'm going to ask you first. I was like, no. <laughs> no. And she goes, have you been raped? 
I know. First. That's the first <laughs> question. <laughs> and and she, uh, the assumption. That's when you want a hemorrhoid that I question. Would, that, yeah. <laughs> I thought it'd be about cystitis, hemorrhoids. <laughs> and at the time, I didn't have the. It, it really knocked me off my feet. And I just went, I, 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 I don't think it's. Uh, I don't answer that. I, it's yeah. not an autobiography. And that's like interviewing Henry Miller and going, <laughs> first question. Have you worked your ass right, with a piece of yeah. bread? They wouldn't ask that of Henry Miller. No. no. But they're not qualified to deal with the answer. Yeah. She's so, so wise. I know. That would have been such a brilliant answer. You're not qualified to deal with the answer, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you might drop when you walk out the interview and you're published like, oh, Chappy, um, sorry, just think you do need to go back in. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk recently about authors and protection. I do think that's a weird thing of like, everybody wants the author to be vulnerable and to share this really personal story. And we talk about authentic voice and we sell books to each other like, oh, it really happened to her. This is so amazing. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes to interviews and PR, it's like, you're just a slab of meat ready for everyone to poke you. But don't you think, as women, don't you think we're asked that question more? How much of our characters are us and how much, you know, is is true for us? I, I don't think men are asked those same questions they're allowed to be existential or yeah. you know have you know yeah. more analytical philosophical approaches to it whereas I think we're always completely embroiled with the with the characters that we've created the really brilliant thing that you've done in this book I think is right is be so close to a character who's really unreliable mm-hmm. a narrator who's really unreliable which I think is really hard to do to sort of like to to meet out the information to the reader as to how much you know is you're going to give away consciously as an as the, the author, and how much we've got to guess whether she's a weirdo or not. So you've yeah. got to be so 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 close, I think, to to the character when you, when you're the author writing that. And that must have been quite hard to when you've got a character that whose brain you're in so much and that you're embodying so much to separate yourself out at the same time as knowing that you are an author and this is a piece of work. Yeah. I think, so I've been obsessed since university with unreliable narrators. The minute that they were sort of pointed out to me, the idea that uh, an author could tell the reader something while the character doesn't know, the character either doesn't know or is wrong. And I really enjoy, I wanted the reader to trust me and think that they knew the same as the character and then find out something else. So what it reminded me a lot was writing an hour Edinburgh show, which is in some ways, especially if it's knitted together with five minutes, your brain has to sort of then suddenly run a marathon where you're remembering at each stage. So I think that was, that, that was the really helpful thing to me is just keep remembering what had happened before. I read a Zadie Smith interview where she said that she started right back at the beginning every day. So she reads the whole thing. Oh God, and I'd never finish on. anything if I did that. Yeah, it, takes, it takes ages, got the time. but it means that... But Zadie, it means Smith. That, <laughs> Zadie Smith has. You can't do it once it's past like 200 pages, but you can spend a couple of hours... It means that the beginning is really, really, really what you mean. So I did that with my book Scatterbrain. Oh, yeah. To the extent that it was like two, like a year and a half late. And again, the super polite publishers, when you know when people have had a meeting about yes. you. Yes, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> How are you getting on? And they're like, do you, do you think it would be helpful if we got, not, not a co-writer, no, go away. Oh, and anyway, they said to yeah. me, we need you to get this out of the 80s now. We need you to get out of secondary school because my book was just about it just became about yeah. my secondary school and about my education yeah. and it would just I just got myself ironically in an ADHD loop 
yeah. about it. But it doesn't surprise me because you're, you must have been remembering so many things, looking at them from a completely different viewpoint. So, of course, that would take time to process. Yeah, and, and it was, that was really strange. But I really am proud that I stuck to my guns about not, hand, not rushing it, get it out. And then I thought, you know, and you have to start thinking that this isn't hopefully going to be the only book I ever write. Yeah. So if this particular point is a big area of interest... There are many podcasts to do <laughs> <laughs> to talk about ADHD and the effect it had on my education. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Did you read your own audiobook? Yeah. How did you find that? When I read my nonfiction, I mean, I just found it humiliating, like (laughs) low-level embarrassing to some points, highly embarrassing, because you're sent to a room for a week with a stranger, and, um, I mean, yes, they're paid to be there, and then you have to tell them all of your secrets. (laughs) Which you are telling in a book. But when you're writing, but you don't not, think about not, that. You don't, yeah. You're not face-to-face face like, with okay, someone. Jump into bed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're not ready at that point. But fiction's though, different because the characters have accents and stuff, and I hadn't done any thought about that. <laughs> and then, and so then it would be like she said in her Irish brogue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I could just like, oh. <laughs> so I would recommend buying the book and then downloading the audiobook to read along. No, I don't do any of the accents. And you can do the accents I, I, I did yourself. The coward, I did the coward's way out, but it was just me and an engineer. And I said, should I be... I said, oh, should I be doing... <laughs> if should, that's should, your Irish... Should I be doing no, no. the old Irish here? <laughs> like, is it, I was like, is it weirder if I say she says no Irish brogue in an Essex accent? Or, oh, oh double bailies. Like, if I say it like that, and then so yeah, I didn't do any of the accents. I think that's the best way because I didn't think about the accent thing. When I did Nina's Not Okay, I had a Pakistani taxi driver that had quite an intense conversation with Nina's mum. Yes, mom. yeah, I know that bit. Yeah. And honestly, it was like Peter Sellers sounded like <laughs> a RADA graduate. I mean, he might have been, I don't know, yeah. but it was like horrific. Thank God I'm not white. <laughs> <laughs> It was hell, hell on earth. And, and I stuck a, a guy from Leeds in there. Because you don't think at that no. point, because the book is the book and the story needs to be told. You're not thinking one day I'll be contractually obliged. They've never let me read my own audiobooks <gasps> ever. It's something I'm very insulted if about. You so you want to be in, ahead, if you set it in Ireland, Sarah could do... <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll two-hand it. But yeah, they've never let me. And I've sent them examples of me reading it to try and oh, entice them. Yeah. And every time they've gone like, it's really good. 
But no, and you feel like the person who's trying to sing Whitney Houston at karaoke. <laughs> no, you just can't. And then an actor does it, and you see why you can't do it. And you have to like, like yeah, yeah, okay, they're so much better because they can do all the other voices and they put a proper yeah. ending at the end of all the words, which you maybe don't do as a normal person. Well, I've only done it once and it was horrible as well, I'd agree. So I I think I've done other audiobooks, other people's audiobooks that I haven't written. That's very enjoyable because then you can lose yourself. But when it's yours, I think... Like you said, you're just constantly criticising or looking at sentences thinking, fucking hell, that doesn't make sense. Oh, I, I, I did a couple of edits as I went. Oh, did you? With the audio, well. yeah. I was like, come on, that's a clunky sentence. You can't <laughs> I, I edit every time I read out, I edit. Every time I do a reading, it changes. <laughs> Why not? Are you, you reading kind of get it out as you're writing? Is that a process for you as well, to read it out loud? Sometimes, although I, I often can't bear to do that too soon yeah I find I have to occasionally otherwise yeah. I literally can't hear it properly with the script I'd always do that I'd always get a friend on a zoom and go through it before I submitted it you do definitely find the clunky sentences your eyes can't see when you're saying it out loud yeah, yeah. and you're like I don't know where to breathe in this sentence <laughs> I need to look at this sentence again you, you told me that and I feel like you told me Shappy told you that you said to I, me I when both, I was writing you said read it out loud both Shappy and Mark Watson said to me when I wrote my first book say it all out loud before you sign off on the edit because yeah. that's how you catch it. And I was too lazy. And I, and I found those sentences at the audio book. Yeah, you gave me good advice. Yeah. And, you said, and, Don't and, do and that's why I, I give it to other people. It is it a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that with my stand-up as well. Just say it out loud before <laughs> I... Once, when I very first, first started gigging, there was another comedian who practised his entire set to the wall. Oh, I'm no. not going to say who it was, but I thought that's what comedians were like. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a weird power move. To be fair, at character stand-up nights, everyone is doing that. But everybody's doing it, so yeah. it's fine. I want to just talk a little bit about the quote that you have at the beginning, the Jeanette Winterson quote. Yeah. It is much better to read yourself as fiction, not as fact. And I wondered if you could tell us that's what from, your feelings that's are from on Jeanette. Jeanette Winterson's autobiography. She actually mentions, she uses that quote several times in different formulations because she's telling her story of her life and especially her, her relationship with her mother and being a young child. When you tell something as a story, it becomes your version of events. It becomes a narrative. And also when you're publishing it, it has to be a successful story. So at so many points, you move away from truth. That's what stand-up is all the time. It mutates... And so, it's, yeah, it's all true. None of it happened. And, um, but I like the idea of it as a coping mechanism. I think over time, when people talk about time healing wounds or time making things easier, what it usually means is it's become either an anecdote or a longer story that you tell intimate people, but it's become something with a beginning and a middle and something that you then feel has passed, like that story has finished. And you're not living through it anymore. And I, that Jeanette Winterson book is just, I mean, she's fantastic anyway, but it's just such a fantastic, convoluted, complicated, unsolvable. People can love each other and cause each other so much grief. It's like you clear emotional distance, don't you, on stuff once you've written it, and then mm. it doesn't hurt anymore. You kind of push it out there and you abstract it with yeah. various devices and push it towards a reader. And then it's like, okay, that can't hurt me anymore. And then you're like two years usually or so down the line by the time it comes out, even if it's fiction or nonfiction, it, it's kind of, it's, it doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah, it's in this little bubble somewhere else, a balloon sort of separate from you. And, and that's definitely what I wanted to give Sophie as a character, but I wanted her to be modern. So for her, Love Island feels like a version of it. Like yeah. <laughs> she's worrying about how she would be edited. I love that bit when she says like she, she's doing something that she realizes if she was on 
Love Island or Big Brother, she would be not the popular one. Yeah, it wouldn't, she wouldn't come out well in her montage. Yeah. But because that's, you're looking at yourself from outside, that is how you see yourself as a, a character. That's what I wanted for her. I had an ex who said that to me once, and he thought it was a, a compliment. That, no, but he said, the thing about you, the great thing about you is if you were on Big Brother, you'd montage well. That was the compliment. <laughs> like, in reality, no, but he thought on a clip situation. Well. I was an I'm a Celebrity I was just Get thinking, Me Out yeah, here, yeah. and I was the unpopular one. No. It was so, well, I was out first. It, it, it wasn't like, a, it was, I, I didn't fit in to such a mad extent. And I think when you're a stand-up, you're sort of trained for self-awareness. Yeah. And I couldn't do the performance of reality TV. Yeah. Because I, I saw it, and I saw what it was, and it wasn't for me. Because it is a performance. And Richard Osman, I want to frame a text message that he, in fact, I think I put it in my book word for word, that he said to me something like, this was an experiment you did with yourself to see what was important to you and what wasn't. Because I wanted to see, what is it like, that, that massive yeah. ITV fame? Yeah. Going there... I saw what it took to stay in there, and I, I was like, oh, nothing's worth that. Wow. You, you just can't, you can't, because it's so unauthentic for me. Yeah. They weave a story, and you have to be quite skilled to be part of that story. And that's the bit that wasn't for me. So um, when we finished it, Georgia Toffolo, who was very cool, and she won it, I was like, you're amazing. You knew what to do. She goes... I've been in reality TV since I was 18. I, I'm, I'm trained for this. Like, but for me, it was, there was a lot of performative empathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Endless performative empathy. Yeah. And I didn't bite, and I, and I got out and had a nice holiday. But it was really yeah. interesting. <laughs> It's, it's interesting. so interesting, though, isn't so it? Because that is a whole genre of show. It's a very popular genre of show. It takes up a large pr proportion of television. And... Sophie is a character that is living in her own reality TV yeah. show. That moment where she keeps saying, I wish I love, when she makes jokes that someone, someone's like, what? She's like, oh, if you didn't hear the monologue before, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. This idea that there's like a narration going on, someone, you know, the big, in the Big Brother Sophie house is constantly commenting on what's happening to her. What I would equate is like with shows, even though we all know that, you know, it's structured reality, whether yeah. it's like the jungle show or those kind of things. When we watch them, we want things to be true. We instantly, we don't, we don't think, oh yeah, producers sat around and created yeah. that and then edited it. Even when people come out of shows and say, I'm so unhappy with my edit, we're like, mm, I know you. <laughs> um, and Sophie's trying to convince herself. That's the thing that I would equate is she is trying to be the producer. Yeah, it feels like she's in doing control everything. Of things she's she's not the other in control people. of. Yeah. She's the editor. She's the camera person. She's like constantly aware extremely self-aware as a character of what's happening to her, but also, at the same time, not self-aware. But, but there's something I do think is universal, but I haven't asked anyone. <laughs> but when, when is it got, hemorrhoids? <laughs> when you've got music in your headphones, especially, I think it's something to do with public transport in London, whether it's walking on tubes or being on escalators, and a certain song comes on and it feels like you're in a film. Oh, yeah. That's, uni that's a really powerful... You I do remember see when, yourself they, as a when iPods yeah. first came out and you could walk on and it was like, oh my God, I can be in a film now. Like yeah. I don't even have to imagine the song. I have 200 songs and I can change yeah. which film I'm in. And so everything becomes backdrop. Yeah. And suddenly everyone is an actor. Yeah. And that is mental. <laughs> I don't think everyone's an actor. Oh. I just think I'm in a film. So but who are the other characters? They're, they're, <laughs> they're real. 
Oh, I see. So they're not in your film. They're not in my film because they're not listening to that song. Do you have playlists for what you're writing though? Because everything I'm writing, yes, I have a playlist for. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and I, I, as I'm listening to the playlist, I like work through the scenes that I think and act them out myself that are from the book or whatever I'm working on. I just write and listen to music. No, but, oh, right. but when I'm not writing, when oh, I'm out like it, kind of walking it, or in the car or yes, something, then I'll yeah. put on the playlist and I'll just track yeah. things through to check that they that they work to that song because I always use music like that. I, I can write with music, depend, sometimes I, it froze me, but when I was writing about grief, I had to listen to a lot of Elgar. I think it was Elgar. And I have a friend who is very, uh, knows a lot more about classical music than I do. And I said, what should I listen? And he was like, Jacqueline Dupre playing this specific Elgar suite. And it's so haunting and bittersweet. So anytime I was like feeling not that griefy, <laughs> And I was like, oh, I've just been watching Octonauts with the kids. It's a sunny day. I'd be like, oh, okay, here we go. Put on Jacqueline Dupre. Oh, God, my grief. So I found that it was like mood setting. Mm. And then once I had it, I was like, okay, now you have to switch it off because you're just pretending you're in a film. I could have played Jacqueline Dupre. Why didn't I? Why? I was 10 when that film came out. I, I, uh, I don't like music. Yeah, Sarah so I don't like listen music. to music. But what I did have what? was... She doesn't like music. Generally. No. Yeah, no, she really genuinely doesn't like music. No. She doesn't listen. If you it mention do, any music, it doesn't, she doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. It just you know, sounds noisy. there's a lot noisy. of different kinds of music. Yeah. Like, like there's loads of different types. I think part of it is my dad's a musician. Rebellion thing. So he ruined it. <laughs> but no, but it just, it just doesn't really do anything for me. Also, I, if I'm, take, I, can run the, I can run to dance music from the 90s. But Take That meant a lot to you. Take That broke up and then I never trusted music yeah, again. That's, so, um, I was like, the, tell, yeah. the, tell the real turning point of the music but I'm was angry with, I'm angry with Take That now. Oh, because of the film? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you my, like I, dancing? I, I do like dancing. I just haven't danced for a long time. But again, I think that's a bit like running. When I'm dancing, I'm thinking about running. But I'm just doing it in different directions. <laughs> She's not as fast about dancing songs, though. Just like as long as everyone's dancing. It's not like, oh, And I it has to be song. quite bad music. Yeah. But it sort of controls your heartbeat. That's the most that music can do for me. It can make my heart go, that's the beat. But do you, do you, do you ever get that? Do you, you don't get, like, you don't have a favourite album or you don't go, I have to listen to this song right now. Or... No. I should tell you, I know. No. I know. And I feel your reaction and I've had it. And but but no I was going reason. to say, what I did have, as, as a thing was that I had next to where I watched TV a little pile of books and it was Ian's reading list because so I kept oh, having to imagine good. So there's a lot of Nietzsche and there's yeah. a lot of books that men would tell you about yes. and tell you why you should read them even That's if you didn't want to one of, one of my favourite tweets ever is this woman tweeted my favourite game is to tell men that I've never heard of David Foster Wallace oh yes yeah <laughs> and just the more, he, more they explain it just keep going no no don't not familiar. Are you sure he's real? Like, are you should be mixing him up and just keep denying him until they get more and more upset and frustrated and keep telling you. I just wanted to move on very before we wrap it up, just to talk about which is on the back of the book as a quote. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be a grown-up and in control. I respect myself for a moment, then feel sad and sorry that some people are so lonely and there isn't enough love in the world for everyone. <laughs> and I wanted to talk, because I think all of you have written about being a grown-up, feeling like an adult, what that feeling is. Does anyone ever achieve it? And whether you felt that you'd answered those questions. That's a general question for everybody who wants to take it. Well, Doctor. <laughs> and pop your pants off. Let's have a look at the hemorrhoids. <laughs> I embrace loneliness. Mm. I think that's part of being a, a grown-up. Um, because I'm single and, and 
doggedly single. And with that comes the acceptance of loneliness. Mm. But then you can be lonely in a relationship and all of that. But I'm enjoying sort of recognizing those waves. Yeah. Accepting them. And then letting them pass. Nice. And investing in... And I think that's the most grown-up thing I've ever done is not go, right, I'm single, I'm feeling lonely. Who have I kept on ice? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not... Sitting with an uncomfortable feeling, basically. Sitting, yeah. And it's taken me to 50 Mm. to do that. And it's it's really nice because every time I get... I feel blue and I think I want to tell someone something cute that my daughter's done or my son said and there isn't that special person. I can, you know, tell my friends about it but they've got their kids. Um, (laughs) When I feel like that, I suddenly remember that there isn't someone else's shoes in my hallway. (laughs) Swings and roundabouts. And that is a sweet joy to me. (laughs) I agree, I can see that. Emma Jane, what do you feel? I can boil an egg so that it is not either snotty or hard. Oh. And I feel like that is such an accomplishment in my lifetime, and I'm so proud of it. And I can also drink really efficiently. Oh. And really... Do you mean um, water or alcohol? Alcohol. Alcohol. And water. And water. That's the key. The way you blend the two. Yes. So that I don't feel like shit the next day. Oh. But I feel nice the night before. That is really good. It's really good. And it's yeah. taken me a long time to get here, guys. Just saying thank you so much. And also, I can remove myself from social media when it's appropriate to. And Ooh. that is the biggest one, guys. That's a yeah. new adult skill. I'm though. hearing really, self-control. Really, really. Yeah. yeah. hearing boundaries. I like to think so in yeah. some places. Yeah. Sarah, what's your, how do you feel like a grown-up? Or do you feel like... It's not real. You don't get there. No. <laughs> God, that's really worrying. <laughs> I can't drink properly. I can't boil an egg. I've got my husband's got thousands of pairs of shoes. <laughs> we, we went on a TV show where, like, you, you both like dob each other in for like something that you do. And um, I took a picture of his shoes. I had to get a wardrobe maker because there wasn't enough room at the bottom of the wardrobes for how many trainers he's got. So I got so many shoes. So I've got like basically like bookshelves, but so the floor to ceiling built, so he can triple stack his trainers. And I'd said beforehand, you know, he he shops for shoes all the time. He's really obsessed with shoe shopping. He buys shoes all the time. He doesn't need any more shoes. And these are only the shoes that are in England. He has another, a whole other lot at his parents' house in Australia. And the, the audience were like, yeah, yeah, we know what lots of shoes are. And then they gasped when yeah. they saw them. It's Imelda Marcos levels of trainers yeah. that he has. Yeah. yeah. The same size. Can you, can you capitalise <laughs> on this? He's a size that you have to get, like, specially made. <laughs> thank you. No hope of an insult. No. no I don't want his stupid trainers. I also don't mind it. I just think I'm failing at adulthood now. I, think doing, I didn't realise these were all things. I well. love that there's a heavily pregnant woman going, I think I'm failing at yeah, adulthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, it's very odd becoming someone's mum. Yes. I've got one already. This is all a mistake. And then... Um, <laughs> and, um, I mean, someone's mum and not identifying with being a mother and still not identifying with adulthood and it all feeling like... I still you know, think it takes Character time. work, yeah. You know, my God. son's 16 mm. and it freaks me out mm. that I'm, I'm his mother. But that probably makes you a better parent, she says, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have to... I have to go, oh, here's, here's me being a parent because he came home from... Because his dad lives down the road. He was at his dad's house the night before. And then the next day, he walks in at half past four, 
And I said, why, why are you in your school uniform? Because it was summer holidays. And he went, because I started school today. <laughs> and I went, oh, right. And then, and then he goes, Casco Sandy, nice to meet you. <laughs> we met at Queen Charlotte's Hospital. I was like, oh, don't take the piss. But I've got, a, you know, when you've got a lot on, yes, you don't always yeah, yeah, remember. Yeah. But gossiping, I'm so grown up now that I know some incredible gossip. Don't tell Sarah. <laughs> she looks at you like that. I know I'm not an adult. That yeah. I don't tell. I would have told everyone. I'll tell you afterwards. And I will tell everyone. She will tell everyone. That is sort of a guarantee. If you want someone to know something, you just, this is the Yeah, tell me and tell say it. it's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> My mum's the same. I yeah. think it's an Essex thing, personally. I just Do don't you? See. Yeah, just don't, I think Essex language for don't tell anyone, subtext is obviously tell everyone. No, just before you say it, you go, so, I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but has it ever got you into trouble? Have people ever said, oh, my God, I can't believe yeah. you told me? I, oh, I'm God. still waiting in comedy for what happened at school, which is being taken to the tennis courts and punched in the face. <gasps> because I wasn't supposed to tell anyone. And I was definitely in the wrong. They're waiting till you have the baby. <laughs> Do you trust her with your secret? Uh... <laughs> okay. I am careful... And I, because, because we know, and it's love, it's like, it's so if it's something that I think, like if someone's told me something, I wouldn't, I'd be like, oh, hang on. Yeah. And, she, and she'll know, she'll say, don't tell me. See, I get really sad because this Edinburgh Fringe, I found out some seismic thing <gasps> that I thought was incredible gossip. And then I rang my comedian friend back in London and she went, yeah, everyone knows that. Oh, I hate that. I hate uh, that. Yeah, that's I, I'm just, I just don't... I've done that text someone say, did you hear? And they were like, everyone knows that. I thought, uh, oh, well, I didn't. Um, we should start wrapping up, even though this is such a brilliant sorry. conversation. No, no, just because I'm aware of time. now everyone's all they're just thinking is, tell us the gossip. No. Just tell us the gossip. It's such a... Just chat to Sarah afterwards, she'll tell you. Just such little book. teases. Um, we normally end the episode on uh, a Sarah's goodbye line from the book. Sarah normally yeah. chooses it, and this time it feels fair that she's chosen yeah. it. If I was to die with my tampon in, will they take it out before they bury me? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us at Weirdos Book Club. Please give up Sarah Pascoe, Emma Jane Andres, and Shafi Corsandi. I have been carrying Thank you. Thank you so much for listening this episode was recorded live at 21 soho in london we were joined by author emma jane unsworth whose amazing books are all available to buy now you can find her on instagram at m jane unsworth Shappy's latest book scatterbrain about her life with adhd is available to buy now and she has a live event at foils where she'll be in conversation with comedian izzy sati on the 27th of september you can find her on social media at Shappy corsandi Next week's book is Freshwater by Kweke Ameze and we will be joined by comedian Sophie Duker. Thank you for reading with us. We like reading with you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Lucy Beaumont. And guess what? I'm Sam Campbell. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy our podcast. It's called Lucy and Sam's Perfect. Brains. It, we have a podcast and 
Oh, it might be. I, I probably don't want to sound, um, you know, like I'm bragging, but it's dynamite. It is electric. It's high voltage. And please, we really need you to listen. You don't understand how much we need this. Is it on all the platforms? Oh, it absolutely is. But um, yeah, we, th- this one is coming. This one's out now. Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brands.